A guy by the name of St. Basil the Great lived around 330 to 379 A.D. So around 350 A.D., he said this, Do not say this happened by chance, while this came to be, by, by, came to be of itself. In all that exists, there is nothing disorderly, nothing indefinite, nothing without purpose, nothing by chance. How many hairs are on your head? He says, God will not forget one of them. Do you see how nothing, even the smallest thing, escapes the gaze of God? I bet if he were here listening to Mike's story, he might have said something like that. Nothing by chance. I want to take just a few moments of just quiet, and I would encourage you to, to take a deep breath or two and think back over this last month, maybe six months, maybe a year. I know it's been a challenging year, and, and think back to that one time where you thought, wow, I I can't believe that just happened. And when you think of that, take a moment just to thank God. Give gratitude, recognizing maybe now what you didn't recognize then, that his hand was in it. Father, I'm sure that just with the, the people sitting in the room, we could rattle off 50 or 100 things that took place in this last year, that as we look back, we could tell your hand was on it. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to look backwards and to see where you are moving and working, and I pray that we won't forget to do that. Give us your eyes to see ways in which you intervene. And as we do that, help us be grateful people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wasn't Mike's story great? He told me on Monday or so that some of you may have heard that before. I hadn't, and I just think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic how we can look back in our lives, kind of in retrospect, and, and see the places that God has worked, see his fingerprints all over our story. I'm confident that one day we're going to be in heaven with Jesus, spending hours upon hours watching the movie of our lives. And I think he's going to laugh. This is the way my mind works. You know, he's eating popcorn, the good kind. And he's going to laugh and he's going to say, ha, you didn't even know it, but I intervened right there. And we'll go a little bit more. And he'll, he'll, he'll pause again and say, did you catch that? Did you catch what I did? You didn't catch it then, but look at, I stuck my finger right there. That wasn't a chance encounter at all. Scripture talks, uh, the Apostle Paul talks to the, to the church in Corinth saying that, you know, we, we can't view our lives completely clearly. In fact, we, we view our life kind of through a, a dim glass. 1 Corinthians 13, which we typically know as the love chapter, says this in, in verse, uh, verse 12. Paul writes, now we see things imperfectly, like buzzing, puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. And I look forward to the day that I can understand my story completely and clearly. This morning, we, uh, we continue a little two-week series looking at God in story. We're doing this because the catechumenic group, groups, which are about half of our adults, are also looking at God in story. So we're joining them. 
Last week, we looked at the story of Joseph, kind of from that bird's eye view, and we saw how God intervened and guided throughout his story. This morning, we listened to another familiar one, the story of Ruth. Now, if you grew up in a church, I'm sure you're familiar with her story, but if you did not grow up sitting on grandma's knee, having her read you Bible stories, then I would encourage you, we're going to read this whole thing, I would encourage you to listen as if it's your first time. Maybe it is your first time, and if it isn't, I would encourage you to listen as if it's your first time. Okay? Close your eyes if you want to. Tell your neighbor you closed them so that they don't think you're asleep. All right? And I'm going to invite up Becky Mace. Uh, We're going to have her read right over there. Becky, if you don't know, is a librarian. And she loves telling stories to kids. All right? And since we've got uh, three of them in here, she's going to be perfectly good telling this story. I figured who else would be a better storyteller than a female voice like Becky's listening to uh, having us listen to the story of Ruth. Now, what I'd love for you to do as you listen is this. When you hear what you think is the most important part of the story, just kind of make a mental note of that. And if you're watching online, go ahead in the comment box, right? Hey, that was the most important part, that that one part right here. Listen for the part that's pivotal, the part that you think, oh, that that would preach. Okay? Um, I want to tell you this. There's going to be no wrong answers for that. Because if the part God wants you to hear is the part that comes to the top, then that's what you need to hear today. So, Becky, tell us the story of Ruth. Well, hello. Sorry, kids, there are no pictures. So my specialty is having pictures while I read. (laughs) I will just be reading. All right. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malin and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malin and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. 
Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer, and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is a young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a minute's, few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young woman right through the whole harvest. 
You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the woman in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer, and all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young woman. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes, then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malin. 
and with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malin, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband, and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman, who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended, may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman, who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. When was the last time you actually just heard that read as a story all the way through? It's at least 2017 for me. Becky, thank you. Thank you. I hope that you guys were able to enter into that story as if it were the first time. Now, as you listened, what part rose to the top? What part did you say, oh, that'd be good for a deeper dive? That was the pivotal moment. Now, my guess is that as you were listening, some of you thought it was the part where, uh, where Ruth told Naomi, no, she wouldn't go, right? In chapter one, Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. It's a great part in the story. Now, perhaps some of you thought it was when Boaz stepped in and put his protective arm around Ruth in the fields and, and allowed her to have all of her needs taken care of. That's in chapter 2, right? verses 10 to 12. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, said Boaz. But also, I know everything about you and what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Now that too, very good part, pivotal part in the story. Maybe you thought it was when Ruth snuck onto the threshing floor uh, that one night uncovering Boaz's feet. Or maybe the next day as Boaz was making a public display to be the, the kinsman redeemer. Or maybe you thought the most important part was when Naomi was finally able to breathe, to celebrate, to, to feel a little redemption as she held her grandson. Now my guess is if you've grown up in the church, you've heard sermons on all of these passages. This morning what stood out to me and this past week, as I, as I read it a few times, was just four simple words that the narrator said towards the beginning of chapter 2. 
At this point, Naomi and Ruth were back in, in Bethlehem. Naomi was struggling, uh, understandably so, to kind of figure out what the next day would hold, and Ruth was taking initiative. So she said, uh, I'm going to care for her mother-in-law, and I'm going to go find food. And this is how it reads, uh, Ruth 2, verse 2 and 3. One day Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. Okay, now these next four words are what grabbed my heart. And I think they're real important for us as we look at God in story. She went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. As it happened. As it happened. The Hebrew word for as it happened is mikre. It means by accident. It means by happenstance, by fortune. It means by chance. It means by chance. Now, if you dig a little bit more deeply, there's a lot of theologians and scholars that will say it means more than that. It means also that which people cannot see. Now, for the most of our society, the overwhelming majority, if we can't see it, they're going to say what? Oh, happened by chance. But I don't believe the book of Ruth or the story of Ruth happened by chance. It was not by chance. Okay, say that with me. It was not by chance. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to interact a little bit. You're always going to say that phrase, and I'm going to tell you more of the story. But you're going to know to say that phrase because I'm going to say something like, so say it with me. And then you would respond, it was not by chance. All right, so let's practice. So say it with me. All right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, we're going to say it like you really mean it. Okay? So if I'm talking, I'm talking, well, so say it with me. That's what I want right there. Okay, so say it with me. It was not by chance that this story starts talking about judges and a famine. Okay? Because the book of Ruth is right after the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the story of Israel is when they followed God and then when they didn't follow God. And in those times when they didn't follow God, God would send ways to get their attention. And one of those ways was a famine. So say it with me. It was not by chance. It was not by chance that Elimelech took his family to Moab. Moab of all places. The Moabites hated the Israelites. Israelites hated the Moabites. There was a deep history of mistrust, mistreatment, misunderstanding. If the Israelites were going to go anywhere for help, it wasn't to Moab. So say it with me. It was not by chance. It was not by chance that while they were there, a husband and two sons died. I'm not saying God made that happen just to write a better story. But if one day we would see a Moabite woman in the lineage of Jesus, this was one way that it could happen. So say it with me. It was not by chance. It was not by chance that Naomi, all the way over in Moab, heard that God was blessing the crops of Judah. It was not by chance that Orpah went home, but Ruth said, no, I'm going to stay with you. She demonstrated a commitment that you cannot find in too many other places in Scripture. A commitment to a mother-in-law, a commitment to a deceased husband, a commitment to their God, which became her God. None of that was by chance. The original Israelite people, they would have needed to hear 
And we would have needed to hear that this story is about a God who would not just use people who we wouldn't expect in his story, but a God who would involve people, the unexpected, the mistrusted, those we wouldn't think to see in the credits at the end of a movie. God involves them in a way that should remind us that we are never outside of God's reach. We are never outside of God's pursuit. So say it with me. It was not by chance. It was not by chance that Naomi had to sort through her emotions. She went from hopeful in Moab with a husband, two sons, two daughter-in-laws to nothing. She returned empty is what is how she put it. God had taken everything from her, at least from her vantage point, And she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, God has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. She was not empty. She had Ruth. So, say it with me. It was not by chance. It was not by chance that Ruth took initiative. Ruth went looking for food. Ruth came home that first day with a basket full of barley. We think a basket full, it was a 50-pound basket full of barley after one day of working in the fields. It was not by chance that Naomi had her eyes begin to be reopened because a God who she said left her empty was in the business of filling back up. So say it with me. It was not by chance. When Naomi went out, came back that day, she said, where did you get all of this? And in chapter 2, verse 19, she says, where did you work? May God bless the one who helped you. Her eyes were being reopened. It was not by chance that by the end of the story, Naomi's friends and neighbors were calling her blessed by God, praising God on her account. They said, there's this child that's going to be famous in Israel, they said. He is the son of your daughter-in-law, your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. It was not by chance that Naomi went through a story that a lot of us will go through, a story of hope. And yet a story of devastation, disappointment, and despair. We need to see a God that will take care of us. We need to see a God that when it seems like we're empty, is in the business of filling us up. So, say it with me. It was not by chance. It was not by chance that she ended up working in Boaz's field. Not by chance that he noticed her when he first walked up. Not by chance that he found out her story. It was not by chance that he guarded her, protected her, cared for her beyond her wildest expectations. He said, eat lunch at my table. Keep picking in my field. Stick around for a whole nother harvest. Boaz was a man of great character. A man who would have known God's heart beats for people like Ruth and families like Naomi's. God had told the earliest Israelites in Leviticus 19, when you harvest your crops of land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. God told the Israelites that. And I say, so say it with me. It was not by chance. 
It was not by chance that Boaz, who spoke to Ruth of finding refuge under the covering wings of God, would later find himself responding to Ruth, seeking refuge under the covering of him as family redeemer. And it was not by chance that the very next day, he went into town to claim his rights as family redeemer, only there was one other person who was closer than him, who just so happened to be in the town square that day. My text says, just then, the family redeemer happened to come by. Just then doesn't just happen. It didn't just happen that the other guy didn't, couldn't, wouldn't fulfill the role of family redeemer. This stuff doesn't happen by chance. The first listeners and us, we need to be reminded that this story is a story of God who's going to put people in our lives to walk with us watch over us and take care of us, we needed to be reminded that this idea of covering can be found in Jesus Christ. So say it with me. It was not by chance. It was not by chance that when the gospel writer Matthew began his story of Jesus, he listed out a genealogy, a lineage, and who was in that story? Ruth. Ruth, great-grandma to the most revered king of Israel, yet a foreign woman, a Moabite, a widow, but someone who demonstrated an unrivaled commitment to a mother-in-law and to a God who she made her own. God knew we would need to be reminded of a story like this. God knew we would be able to relate to the story of a broken family, held together by common threads of pain, of loss. God knew that we would see a family of outsiders and insiders who were bound together by so much more, something so much stronger than blood could ever tie them. A family where anger at God could be expressed and dealt with. A family whom God provided for in unexpected ways. A family who was in large part a pivotal part in the larger story of God. God knew we needed to hear this because we are part of God's larger story. It is not by chance that the story God is writing in your life has his fingerprints all over it. Whether we see it now or have to wait till eternity in the full. Friends, this week I would encourage you, take a moment or two, a couple of times to think through your story. Play it back in your mind. Watch it, maybe on speed, you know, speed up just a little bit because you're going to watch it again with Jesus and look for those times that God intervened. Look for the places God stepped in. When you see those places, pause long enough to thank the great author. Let him know that you know. Say it with me. It was not by chance. Let's pray. Father, we can get so busy going through the motions of our life. So busy running from one meeting to the next, one appointment to the next, one meal to the next, one phone call to the next, that we forget to stop and look at you, who's holding the pen of the story of our lives. Forgive us for that pace, Lord, and remind us to look at the story you're writing in our life. God, what a great reminder that Ruth and the story of Ruth is, not just of her commitment to Naomi, to her deceased husband, and to her God, but a reminder of how you are the one telling, writing, orchestrating, and making our stories happen. 
we recognize this morning that our stories are not by chance. We don't always understand them. We may not always agree with how you're writing it, Lord, but ultimately you have a bigger story. And I thank you that we get to be a part of that. Help us, Lord, even if it's just this week, see our life through the story that you are writing, not just for us, not just for this church or this city or this state, but for this world. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen.